Sanctifying us beyond our understanding, teaching us to trust the plans are still to prosper, have not forgotten us who are with us in the fire. And the blood, you're faithful forever, perfect in love, you are sovereign over us, your wisdom unimagined, good understanding. down in endless grace. You're the lifter of the lowly. Compassionate and kind. You surround and you uphold me. And your promises Your plans are not to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever. Perfect in love. You are sovereign. Turn it to our and for your glory. Even the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good, for your glory. Even when the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it. Faithful forever. 
so glad that you've come to join us in worship today. There's some new faces once again this week that we haven't seen in person perhaps in a little while, and it's just such a wonderful thing for us to gather together to declare to, to everyone that's here and everyone who hears online that God is sovereign over all that happens, that his love is working through it all, that he's caring, that he is a good God, that he's a merciful God, a compassionate one, who's considerate of everything that you're going through, even today, as you might feel distant from other people, physically or emotionally. He's here, sovereign over each and everything. So why don't you rise for a moment, and, and we can receive a greeting from God. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Heavenly Father, and through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and a wonderful working of the Holy Spirit be with you all today. Let's take a moment and, and greet those that we're gathering with. Uh, with if you're online, make a note. Uh, we're not online. Oh. Okay, cool. Uh, so we'll have to figure that out. It was connected, though, before.
Am I on? I am on. Welcome again, everybody. We already welcomed everyone here and found out we weren't streaming. So now we have everything all fixed and we're ready to, to get going again this morning uh, as we worship a God uh, who loves us and cares for us. So let's begin to worship. So as we open, uh, we recognize that we worship the Trinity, the three in one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And we don't often use all three um, of those persons in our praise. So I want to open our worship this morning in a Trinitarian prayer. Would you pray with me? God the Father, we exalt you. You are the Father above all fathers. It is from you and your design, divine design, you created earthly fathers. You show us unfathomable love in your pursuit of us. Not only are you our personal father, but you are the father of creation, giving life to all we see and all we haven't even discovered yet. You are worthy of devotion and praise. God the Son, we glorify you. You gave up your seat of your heavenly throne to live among us, your created ones. In so doing, you became our perfect substitute to atone for our sins. You gave your life to take the death we all deserve. And you conquered death so we may live with you a life everlasting. And even now, you are working on our behalf, interceding constantly to the Father as our high priest. You are worthy of adoration and praise. God the Spirit, we delight in you. You make your home in our hearts. What an astonishment. You equip us with ears to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and to empower us to embody that gospel. You speak through inner workings for us to become more Christ-like every day. You commune with us in sweetness and tenderness that is unmatched. You groan for us when we can't even pray ourselves. You are worthy of worship and praise. Three in one God, we are in awe. The working of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are for us. When we consider your love and the lengths to which you go to fellowship with us, we can't help but feel the warmth of your love. We are enfolded in your tenderness. All the while, we see your magnificent and majesty. And so we lift up our praise and thanksgiving to the glory and honor of your name. Amen. Would you rise in body or in spirit? Uh, this morning we're going to start our worship with Waymaker. Uh, Waymaker, it was written in 2016 in Nigeria and it's kind of made its way around the world. It sounds simple, right? It's easy to catch on. Um, but today as we think through the God who made a way through the Red Sea for the Israelites, um, as I was practicing the song, I couldn't help but imagining myself in that story and what they must have been thinking when they were walking through the Red Sea when God was making a way. So please join us in singing Waymaker. I worship you, 
touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. I worship you. makes a way, and sometimes he uses us to make that way. And in our next song, the lyrics of the song are, have thine own way, Lord. I am the clay. You are the potter. I am the clay. And if you've ever seen clay or worked with clay, in its, in its natural state, out of the ground, it is hard. And it needs to be molded. It has to be worked. And, and that's not a delicate process. If you've ever folded clay, you know that you've really got to push it in there to get it to be soft. 
before the potter puts it on the wheel, he prepares it. And so saying, I am the clay, is really falling before God and saying, have your will in me. So as we think of God's grace for today, think of how God is using you, how he's preparing you to be molded for him. So let's sing, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and
Thanks, Mindy, for giving us a summary of also the, the series as we've, we've gone. That means I don't have to do that. Uh, and I can get right to the story. Uh, if you're following along, we are to the story of God Makes a Way. If you have a Jesus Storybook Bible, that'll be page 92. Let's hear, this is a story from Exodus 14 and 15. So if you want to look at that too, you can. Moses and God's people escaped out of Egypt and into the wilderness. They didn't know the way, but God knew the way and he would show them. I will bring you to a new home, a special land, God promised them. I will look after you. I am with you. God sent a big cloud for them to follow, a pillar of smoke stretching up to the sky. It moved in front of them as they walked and shaded them from the blazing heat of the day. And when it was time to rest, it stopped. All through the cold desert nights, it kept them warm, glowing like fire. God led his people through the desert to the edge of a great sea. They were just wondering how to cross it when suddenly they heard a terrible thundering and pounding. It sounded almost like horses' hooves. They shaded their eyes to look back and, and screamed, It was Pharaoh! Pharaoh and his army, they were coming to get them. Pharaoh had changed his mind again. Get my slaves back. He screeched and charged out into the desert after him with his 600 of his fastest horsemen in every single chariot in Egypt. What were God's people going to do? In front of them was a big sea. It was so big, there was no way around it. But there was no way through it. It was too deep. They didn't have any boats, so they couldn't sail across it. And they couldn't swim across because it was too far and they would drown. And they couldn't turn back because Pharaoh was chasing them. They could see the flashing swords now glint in the baking sun and the dust clouds and the chariots after scary chariots surging towards them. So they did the only thing that was left to do. Panic. We're going to die, they shrieked. Don't be afraid, Moses said. But there's nothing we can do, they screamed. God knows you can't do anything, Moses said. God will do it for you. Trust him and watch. But there's no way out, they cried. God will make a way, Moses said. Another minute and it would have been over, but then the strangest thing happened. God made the pillar of smoke move. It moved behind his people and hid them from the Egyptians. 
Then God sent a strong east wind to blow all night long. It blew on the water of the big sea, and it blew it to the left, and it blew it to the right, until it blew it into towering walls of water. And there, right through the middle of the sea, a muddy pathway opened up. And God's people walked on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to follow, the walls of water crashed back down on them and swallowed them up. God's people were safe. They danced and, and laughed. They thanked God. When there had been no way out, God had made a way. Many years later, once again, God was going to make a way where there was no way. From the beginning, God's children had been running from him and hiding. God knew his children could never be happy without him, but they couldn't get back to him by themselves. They were lost. They didn't know the way back. But God knew the way. And one day, he would show them. Sometimes when we think about the crossing of the Red Sea or even other stories written about the Israelites, sometimes we happen to gloss over a little bit of their fear. We sometimes gloss over a little bit of they're complaining. We leave out those parts, perhaps. Jesus' storybook Bible doesn't. There are sections of Scripture where the Israelites complain about what is going on. I think that's because any amount of change, no matter how good that change could be, is hard. Any amount of change causes us to grieve in reality. We grieve what was before. We grieve that things are not the way it was before. I think that's something perhaps all of us have been experiencing in this time. We grieve on a daily basis. Perhaps we grieve when we have to wear these. When you can't tell whether I'm smiling or what I'm doing underneath here. We grieve when we're used to reading people's lips even just a little bit and you can't do that anymore. We grieve that we can't reach out and hug one another, perhaps, like we did. We grieve that we can't reach out and shake one another's hands because we don't know how each of us would receive that. We grieve. We grieve that things now seem so much more impersonal than it used to be. We grieve. Sometimes it just seems like those little things just cause us to get angry because <laughs> they're not the same. 
in grieving, there is that stage that that finds its way in our life that is anger, and it's being angry at the way things have changed and the way things have have been altered, being frustrated that it's, it's not the way it was, it's not the way it's supposed to be, right? Perhaps you've experienced that in your own life at times. The grief that you experience because of change causes your anger switch to just be a little quicker to get hit. You know, the Israelites, they were slaves to Pharaoh. They, they had lived there in freedom for many years, but then the Pharaoh didn't know Joseph and thought the people were too big, and, and they began enslaving them, right? That's what we talked about last week. They had to make bricks. They had to follow along with whatever Pharaoh said. And it wasn't until that tenth plague that Pharaoh let the Israelites go. We said that was from death to life from slavery to freedom, right? And now they're, they're free. They're in this place of freedom, and they're, they're making their way through the wilderness, being, being led by this, this cloud, having everything going, I guess, their way at this point. They've been able to, to leave. They're free, and they're following God the way things should be. And them in experiencing this bit of change. The homes that they once had, they had to leave behind. A life of continuous walking was something that they just gained. That's different. And perhaps they started to grieve the way things were before, even though it was slavery. They, they begin complaining when they see this big sea and they feel like they have no way out. Their grief of, of the, the things that have changed causes them to, to lash out at the first person that they see. Maybe it wasn't the first person, but it was their first leader, Moses. They lash out. They say to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Change is difficult. So difficult it made the, the Israelites 
instead of receiving the freedom, they would have rather had the slavery in bondage. We wish you would have just left us alone. We were better off when we were slaves. And they struggle. And the funny thing is, in their struggle, is when they left, yeah, they didn't have time to, to have their bread rise, but, but Scripture also says that they were able to plunder the Egyptians and to, to take silver and gold and valuables, and, and they had freedom, and they had all of these, these things that God had, had basically given them that they didn't maybe work for, and yet they really wished that they didn't have any of it. They perhaps have forgotten in a matter of days the power that the Lord had displayed to set them free from that slavery. The power that he displayed through those ten plagues. So they question Moses and they in turn question God that God has his best intentions in mind for the Israelites. Why would you bring us through this? It would be better if we were slaves. That's what grief and stress in our lives causes us to do. Longing for what it was before, unable to see how perhaps God is working currently in our life. Long for what was before, even when what was before was not God's best for our life. So here they are, what seems to be an impossible situation, a sea that they can't cross on one side, and, and the chariots of Pharaoh coming down on them on the other and in the midst of this uphill, upheaval, in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of being between a rock and a hard place, so to speak, God responds to his people through Moses by saying, do not fear. Because God's going to make a way. Let's read from Exodus 14, starting at verse 21. It's a story about God going to work. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And I want you to notice, this is the only time, well, when he stretches out his hand and when he stretches out his hand again, that's the only thing Moses does. Stretch out his hand, right? He stretched out his hand over the sea in all that night, the Lord, all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. 
with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. We're going to go right back to that first verse, verse 21. Because what we see beginning is God at work. We see this, the Lord drove. In these 10, 11 verses or so, we will see multiple times, and perhaps you saw them yourself as we were reading, where we see the words, the Lord, and then some description of what he did. The Lord displaying his power, protecting his people, doing what needed to be done to make a way that the Israelites may continue a life of freedom rather than a life of slavery. That the Israelites would continue life instead of death. And even though Moses stretched his hands, that didn't really do it. That might have just been an act of trust on Moses' part because God told him, stretch your hand. And so he, he did, he, he listened, he followed, but then it was the Lord's doing that moved the sea. It was the Lord that drove the sea. Because... When God begins a work, like he began a work with the Israelites, taking them from death to life, taking them from slavery to freedom, when God begins that work, he's going to work until it's finished. When God begins a work, he will work until it is finished. 
ultimately is God who is going to pave the way, quite literally, for his people to be saved. All his work, all his faithfulness, all his mercy, all his grace, all his doing. The Israelites needed a place to go, so the Lord drove the sea back. The Israelites needed a path, a way forward, so the Lord opened one up. And though they could hear the chariots coming, and though they feared for their lives and and were so frustrated that they complained to Moses about their possible death out in the wilderness, all they needed to do was trust in God. Because by the morning, there would be a path. By the morning, God would have created a place for them to walk. Notice, this isn't in my notes. This is always dangerous, right? Notice that God didn't do it right away. (laughs) It's interesting. He drove it back all night, yet the Israelites, hearing the thunderous noises from the horses in the distance, somehow they needed to be able to either sleep all night or, or have faith in God all night to wait for the morning, to wait for the, the, the next thing to come, to wait for God to go to work and for them to follow. Didn't happen right away. But the Lord would provide in time. And even when the Egyptian forces seemed to be bearing down upon his people, I wonder if we can put our minds in the minds of those Egyptian people that a matter of days earlier had lost their firstborn. Can you imagine the anger and the frustration and the desire to go get those Israelites that is in their mind? It was their God that did this, and if they weren't there, they would have not had to experience the pain and the hurt. Hundreds of chariots and horsemen with one thing on their mind, get the Israelites. Get the Israelites, get our stuff back, get our silver, get our gold, get our valuables, and lay waste to these people. But even with that in their mind, we see something else. Once again, we see that the Lord looked And then he threw it. He threw it into confusion. The Lord looked down in the last watch of the night. So this is still night. The path has not been opened up yet. The Israelites might be fearing this army that's about to come and and lay waste to them. And yet the Lord looked down upon his people, has compassion upon them, and, and decides to throw the Egyptian army into confusion. 
he, he starts messing with the wheels somehow. Maybe he caused the, the bearings to go out that they wouldn't, they wouldn't move very well. He, he moved the cloud from in front of his people to behind to protect them so, so perhaps the, Israel, or the Egyptians wouldn't know where to go. And as they, as they, the Egyptians, were being thrown into confusion, they would not make their way to God's people. Some of them even saying, we need to, to turn around because the Lord is fighting for his people. And then Moses once again stretches his hand to return the sea to its normal course. And notice here, once again, it's the Lord who throws the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The Lord working, perhaps, we don't know, perhaps in their minds to chase after the Israelites, but not realizing the danger that they themselves were putting, them in, putting themselves in not realizing that at any moment the Lord could make those waters crash down, that the Lord could remove that wind. It's the panic, the confusion of the Egyptians that caused their demise. And it ends up with this. The Lord saved. God's actions are what dominate this passage. Yes, Moses raises his hand, but it's the Lord who gives way for the wind to come. It's the Lord who once again throws the army into, into confusion. It's the Lord who causes them to be swallowed by the sea, and it's the Lord who brings about that entire work of salvation. Israel didn't really do anything. They just received the grace that God had for them. That same grace that, that brought them from slavery to freedom. That same grace that brought them from death to life. It's God who, who takes this lose-lose situation that the Israelites were in between this army and this big body of water and turns it into a way for deliverance. And the reason he paves the way for deliverance is because he has big plans for his people. When God starts that work in his people, he will work until it is finished. Because he has plans for his people to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And, and, and the priests are really people who intercede for others on behalf of God. That's, that's what the, the priests would do in Israel. And so later, God would pave a way for Israel's, Israelites to be that, even for other nations. That was the whole goal. 
that all other nations, if we go back to the call of Abraham, would be blessed by his family. When I think about the the best way to be blessed by Abraham's family, the best way that the Israelites could live that out, it would be for helping people, to help people understand a couple things, to help people know the Lord, to know the Lord and his deliverance, his, his power that takes people from death to life, that they could believe in the Lord, that they could trust in the Lord, and that they could fear the Lord, just as they did in the last passage. But that's not a fear like perhaps we think. Uh, I'm afraid of God. Instead, it's more of an awe of him. In awe of his glory. In awe of his way of saving, which is completely probably different than anything we would come up with. In awe of what he has done to pave the way for these Israelite people. In awe that that leads to that response. The, the responding of living in faith that the Israelites must do. And the Lord says that he's going to do something if they live in faith. This is from Exodus 19. If you obey me fully, if you are, are, are fearing the Lord, and if you, you see his majesty and you respond and, and you follow him, If you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession, although this whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Those are words that Moses, or maybe it's Aaron, I don't recall, are to speak to the Israelites. When we think about what we have seen in in this passage, where we see people in uh, between a rock and a hard place, and, and, and it seems like no good decision can get them where they need to go. No, no way for themselves to, to make a way. They, they, they're not trained fighters. They can't fight the Egyptian army, and, and they're not good enough swimmers. They haven't done enough triathlons to get across the, the, the sea. That's kind of the same situation that we're in. We're in a spot where we have no way out on our own. As much as we think we can live a certain life that, that is, is righteous, we fall short. It's really what we believe about the gospel Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that we see also in this Old Testament passage. We, like the Israelites, are under a certain amount of suffering, of bondage, and sin. 
You can see it pretty clearly in the Israelites' life as they literally were slaves. Maybe you can't see it as easy in our lives, the things that we are slaves to. But it's, it's God who, who paves that way, just like he sent the east wind to, to push the waters back and to pave a way. God who sends the breath of the Spirit. The wind, the numba into our lives to, to pave a new path where we can fully trust in Christ. God who is intent on saving his people will, will pave a way in both circumstances, literally through the Red Sea and more figuratively, perhaps in our hearts and our minds as we open ourselves up to the Lord's working. That we too could respond just like the Israelites to be his priests. To be mediators of people experiencing just glimpses and images of God's kingdom. Life to the full. Where we help others experience and hear just a little bit more about a God who loves. God who cares. God who extends grace. God who is a way maker. God who is a heart healer. God who is a compassion giver. God who is a redeemer. Because ultimately, it's the Lord who saves. Lord, we thank you that the work of salvation does not rely on us and unreliable people at times. But instead, salvation relies on you, a most reliable and faithful God who is present everywhere and all the time. God who never changes, whose compassionate love we can find all the way from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Scripture to the book of Revelation, where it's you, by your doing and by your work, pave a way for us to experience life instead of death, for us to experience freedom in Christ instead of slavery to sin. We pray for the winds of your spirit to move among us in our hearts, in our minds, that we may be ones who listen to your voice, to respond to it, to, to fear the Lord, to experience your awe and your glory each and every day of our lives here.
in Jesus' name, his powerful name, his tender name, his compassionate name, we pray. Amen.